the epistle for this feast of the Holy Trinity is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Of the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God, how incomprehensible are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and recompense shall be made him? For of him and by him and in him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 28th chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Going, therefore, teach you all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost live a life of infinite beatitude that has no beginning and no end. They live an eternal, unchanging life. And it's the burden of the priest, the great burden of the priest, on Trinity Sunday to try to explain this to you. Um, and he gets five heresies um, on, on this day because it's, it's very difficult. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the definition of eternity given by Boethius, a 6th century Catholic philosopher, and which was adopted by St. Thomas Aquinas to try to explain something of the life of God, for us to try to grasp to some degree the life of God, the eternal life of God. So Boethius, he, he dis- defines eternity, God's eternity, as the simultaneously whole and perfect possession of interminable life. What does he mean by this? First of all, the life of God is simultaneously whole. And what this means is that God's life is not spread out and divided into different parts like our lives are. Our life goes from moment to moment. And as such, we do not live all of our life, the whole of our life. We do not possess the whole of our life in one moment, but we have the whole of our life split up into many different moments. You know, there's a a corny traditional Catholic pickup line um, where where the boy says to the girl, um, would you like to pray a rosary with me? Because I would like to spend decades with you. Um, So that's, that's our life. It's, there's decades and decades of our, it's, it's split up into many, many, many different moments of time. And so we don't possess, we don't have our whole life in one moment. But God does. God's life is not made up of parts in time, different sections. He possesses it simultaneously in one moment and wholly in that single moment. Then secondly, perfect, the life of God is perfect. And what this means is 
that God lives a life that is completely and utterly full. Everything that God is or could be is realized in that single moment, whereas everything that you are and could be is not realized at any given moment. There are many things that you can do, but you cannot do them all at once. You cannot exercise the full potency of your being at any given moment. You can only do one thing at a time. I can't be preaching a sermon to you and eating my breakfast and sleeping and conversing with my mother at the same time. There are many things that are possible for me, but I can't be realizing them all in a single moment. But this is what God is doing. God is fully realized, fully actuated in that single moment of his existence. And lastly, he possesses this mode of existence in an interminable life. It is a life. This is the life of God. Simultaneously whole, perfect possession of his being. God is life. He does not have life, as if one day he was not living and the other day he was living. Life is not given to him. He is life by his very existence, and his life is not added to, it's not subtracted from, he's not on a journey to become perfect. He is absolutely and utterly perfect. And when our Lord came down on this earth, he revealed to us something of the inner life of God, the inside of God. These things we could even figure out by our own natural reason, but there's something we could not figure out. And this is the question of the love that exists within God, the perfection of God's own love among the three persons. We know that when we measure the love of people towards one another, we ask ourselves, how close are they to one another? Uh, do, they, do, do this couple, this husband and wife, do they think the same thoughts? Do they desire the same things? Do they share everything with one another? Do they communicate everything with one another? And if we say, oh, they are so communicative, they think the same thing, they, they walk the same way, they, they desire the exact same things, and we conclude they, they love one another very much indeed. But no matter how much the couple loves one another, no matter how much they share with one another, there's something that they cannot possibly ever share. And that is their very existence. You won't find any couple ever aspiring to say, I love you so much that I want my existence to be in you and your existence to be in me. I want us to share the very same act of existence. How about we have the same existence? Let's just go that far with our love. Nobody does that because we all know it's, it's utterly unachievable. It's just not even, we wouldn't even think about it unless it had been revealed to us. This is the love that exists among the persons of the Trinity. They, they are so close. They are so intimate. 
in their sharing, in their communication with one another, that they have the very same act of existence. They have the very same principle of operation. Their nature is one and the same concrete, subsisting nature. The communication of the three persons within God is so great that they have the very same existence, they have the very same knowledge, they have the very same love. And because their existence is infinite, so too what they communicate amongst themselves, that knowledge and that love, is also infinite. They share the same knowledge, and it's an infinite knowledge. They share the same love, and it's an infinite love. Please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that they have the same, that they're thinking the same thing as, as I might think the same thing as Father Novak. I might say, you know, Father Novak and I, we're thinking the same thing. But if I said that, Father Novak would have his thought thinking that thing, and I would have my thought thinking that thing. But that's not what we're saying with God. We're saying that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are thinking the same thing with exactly the same single thought. They have the same thought. There is just one thought that belongs to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There is just one love that belongs to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This is the union that exists amongst the persons of the Trinity, the closeness the sharing, the communication that exists among the persons of the Holy Trinity. Something we would never dream of even being possible if we just knew our merely human existence. It was not revealed by our Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that is different amongst the persons of the Blessed Trinity is the relation between them. Father is to Son, Son is to Father. Father and Son is the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is to Father and Son. That's it. That's it. Everything else is exactly identical. My dear faithful, this is the God, this God of infinite life and infinite love is the God who created you. This is the God that made you. This is the God that made you for a given purpose. Why did he make you? What is the purpose that he has given you? Our Lord came down not just to tell us about the Blessed Trinity, but also to tell us about the reason for which we are made. And he told us the reason why we exist is to share that life of God. God made us to share in his inner life. God does not just communicate his inner life within himself, but also he wants to communicate that life to you, to his own creatures. It's as if God, when trying to decide what he would make us for, could not resist making us for something beyond our own nature, he could not resist sharing his infinite and intimate life with us, his own creatures. Our Lord tells us this especially 
at the Last Supper, when he has his, which is called his sacerdotal prayer. He's coming to the end of his discourse, and he addresses the Father. He addresses the Heavenly Father. He speaks to the Heavenly Father about what he has done in this life. This is what he says. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we also are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. I have made known thy name to them and will make it known that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. The glory which you have given me, you are my Father, communicated me from eternity, the heavenly, the, the beatitude, the divine beatitude, I've given to them. I've given them divine glory. The oneness that we have, Father and Son, I have communicated to them. The love that we have with one another, within the Trinity, I have also given to them these three things. The glory of God, the unity of God and the love of God. It's from this that we see what we are made for. And of course, you know, obviously it's impossible for us to so share in that life of God that we would have the very existence of God. Our Lord makes the comparison between the life, the, the sharing that exists between the Trinity, and he, he's so bold as to, to say that he gives us the same thing. But of course, it's not exactly in the same way. There will never be a point when we will have the very existence of God. But we do have a participation in that life of God. There are three levels of this participation. The first level belongs to all creatures, and it's purely passive. It's just you receive existence from God as a rock or a plant or an animal or a human being. You just receive existence from God. That doesn't give you the ability to, to actually access God. That's the general presence of God in all things. Beyond that, there is also the special presence of God in us by the life of grace, whereby God creates something called grace. He puts it in your soul. He puts it in your mind. He puts it in your will. And your mind is elevated beyond the natural level, and it's given the power to know God to access him by faith, the real God, through an act of knowledge. You perform a super act, supernatural act of knowledge. He puts the grace in your, in your will, and thereby giving the will a new ability, a supernatural ability now to love God, to desire God, the real God, to access God through your acts of choosing. And this, this life of grace, as I say, gives us the ability, even in this life, to participate in the very life of God. We share in the life of God through those acts, those supernatural acts that we make. And this is merely a preparation for the third level and the highest level, and that is the beatific vision, where we enter heaven. And God is no longer, there's no longer a creature of God in us, this supernatural grace that raises our faculties, but God himself becomes the form of our intellect. God invades our very soul. And at that moment, we begin to enjoy directly, face to face, 
the very beatitude, the very happiness of God himself, that love of God himself. This is what God, the Holy Trinity, has made us for. God is so good that he has made us for his own happiness. There are two great consequences that we can think about. There are many consequences we can think about as a result once we realize this. Let me just mention two. The first thing is that when you realize this, then you understand how very precious the life of grace is. The life of grace is the thing that enables you to fulfill the purpose for which you are made, the attainment of God himself. There is no other way by which you are to attain God the Trinity and share in his life but the life of supernatural grace. You must treasure that grace. You must hold on to that grace. You must foster that grace. You must try to live according to that grace. And then secondly, we must reflect upon the goodness of God. How good is God where he does not hoard his own infinite beatitude, but he wishes to pour out that infinite beatitude. He so desires to share that beatitude with us lowly creatures. He invites us, he calls us to heavenly beatitude. And we must seek to attain it. We must seek to know, love, and serve God in this life so that we can be happy with him forever in heaven. So my dear faithful, um, let us above all, let us pray to the Blessed Virgin Mary on this day that she may strengthen us, our Lady Help of Christians. We celebrate our feast tomorrow because it was bumped by the, by the Pentecost octave from May 24th to, to May 31st. She's our patroness. She helps Christians maintain the life of grace in their souls. We must go to her and especially ask her that we may preserve this precious treasure all throughout our life so that we may attain beatitude as you know, she was the closest. She's the closest creature to the Blessed Trinity. There is no creature closer to God, the Trinity, than her, the daughter of God the Father, the mother of God the Son, the spouse of God the Holy Ghost. There is no creature who more participates in the beatitude of God than the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the one for us to go to to ask to preserve the life of the Trinity within us. And then secondly, we, we have to have a desire that this, this desire of God, that people live the life of God, be answered, that more and more people come to know, love, and serve God in this world. For this especially, we go to our lady with help of Christians. She is, is the one who has intervened in history at Lepanto, at Vienna in 1683, and with, with Pius VII and his altercation with Napoleon, after being imprisoned by Napoleon for five years. He considered himself to be set free, delivered from that tyrant by Our Lady Help of Christians. That's why he instituted the Feast of Our Lady Help of Christians on May 24th. It was the day he arrived back in Rome after being imprisoned in Fontainebleau for, for five years. So he instituted that feast for Our Lady Help of Christians. She intervenes to restore the rights of God, to restore the dominion of God over souls, we must want this, especially in our secularized age, for, for God once more to have dominion over many souls, for his grace to dwell in so many souls. 
Let us pray to Our Lady for, for these two intentions, especially as far as we are able in our own lives to glorify the Holy Trinity, to already taste the beatitude of heaven by living the life of the Trinity here below. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.